بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا حول ولا قوة الحمد لله رب العالمين صلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطيبين الطاهرين اللهم أخرجني من ظلمات الرحمة أخرجني من نور الفهم اللهم افتح علينا أبواب رحمتك وانشر علينا خزائن علومك ورحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين Alhamdulillah, we already talked about infallibility. The next issue is how to verify a claim made about prophethood. You know, in the course of history, there were 124,000 prophets who were true prophets and they claim to be prophets. But there were also many people, we don't know how many, but there were also many other people who falsely claimed to be prophets. So how can you distinguish between a genuine claim and a false claim? Our theologians have introduced different ways that you can understand whether someone is a true prophet or not. One is if this person is introduced by a previously known prophet. So if a prophet that we already know he's a prophet has prophesied or has, you know, maybe they have lived in the same time, has introduced this person also as a prophet, then you can be sure that this is a prophet. <coughs> the second way is if you know this, the person, you know his history, his background, his character, you know he's honest, and by listening to him, you can become certain that he doesn't tell lies and especially what he says makes lots of sense it has impact you can see the light in what he says you know so this is the personal way that if someone doesn't have the background like you doesn't have the history with that person like you he or she may not come to this conclusion but because you know this person so you can accept the third way is to bring miracles. And this is something that then everyone can look at it and can examine it. If a prophet brings a miracle, and inshallah I will explain what is the meaning of technical meaning of miracle, then this is a sign that this person is supported by God. Because God would not give miraculous power to a person who is trying to deceive people. You cannot imagine a wise person, even ordinary person, let alone God, would put his support, his power, in someone that is deceiving people. So, if a person claims to be prophet, 
and he's bringing miracles, then this means he's the true prophet. But what is miracle? To be able to consider all the subtle points that are here so that you can establish that this is definitely from God, they have come up with a technical definition. The definition that I am giving you is a bit different from what is in the book, so please write it down. Because I am giving you what is in the technical text. First of all, it has to be an extraordinary act. Okay? Are you? An extraordinary act. Something which is ordinary and other people can do, it's not a mu'jiza. It cannot prove. Or even if it is not very ordinary, but still few people can do it. For example, there are some pieces of poem or some pieces of literature which you cannot say they are ordinary, but still ordinary people can make them. Maybe few people. You know, if you look at some of the great pieces of poem, this is really amazing and, you know, the way they have, you know, put the words together and have come up with these beautiful ideas, you know, it's amazing. Maybe one in million or even maybe one in generations can have to do that. But still it is something that other people also can do it. No uh, poet can say, I am the only one who can do this or, you know, I challenge you. If all human beings, you know, get together, you know, they cannot bring like my poem. They cannot do this because they themselves know that there is nothing that makes them the only people who are capable. Extraordinary means something that no one, unless he is equipped with God's support, can do it. it must be very special. Something that doesn't come from teaching. Something that doesn't come from experience. No, no matter how much you are learning and how much you have experience, you are not able to do it. So this is one point. It has to be extraordinary act. Second, it has to come with a claim of prophethood. Because if someone himself says that I am not a prophet, I'm an ordinary person, then God doesn't need to stop him. Of course, God would not give him you know, his support, but maybe God you know, inspires ordinary people. But if they claim that they are prophet, then God stops inspiring people who want to deceive people. So it should come with claim of being prophet. The third is that it has to be in compliance with their claim. This is very important. If someone wants to give you plenty of, for example, water. You know, there is a story that there was a person who claimed to be prophet. Musaylima al-Kadhab. This was a person who claimed to be prophet and was a liar. Sometimes people asked such people for mu'jiza. One incident was, I think this is about Musaylima al-Kadhab or another person, but uh, 
very likely that it was Musaylimah. They asked, if you are prophet, please make water in our well more. They had shortage of water. So she said, okay. So she prayed, you know, <laughs> pretended to pray whatever, that this becomes more. Then something extraordinary happened. And that was the well was totally dried out. No drop of water remained. Okay, this is extraordinary. Ordinary people cannot do this. But it claimed against what she wanted to do. Okay? So if someone is uh, ill and comes to a person who claims to be a prophet and he says, I give Shefa and that person is dead. This is extraordinary. Without using anything, someone is dead. This is extraordinary. But this is to prove that he was false. So, extraordinary act comes from someone, someone who has made the claim to be prophet and it is with <coughs> compliance. So what he does or she does, of course, what he, uh, if it is she, then it's a, like a Muslim, a false, then it would not come in compliance. If it comes with compliance of what he claims, then that is uh, possible. The fourth element is it should come with challenge. And that is to say that if anyone can bring something like this, I withdraw my claim. No one can do this. Okay? If <coughs> four conditions are met, then this means that this is a true prophet because he has done something that no one can do. He has challenged people. No one is able to do it. And he claims to be prophet. So God would not give his miraculous power to a person who is deceiving. So it means that this is a true person, a true prophet. And it is interesting that in the course of history, the prophets had different miracles. Some miracles may be the same, but some of the you know, distinctive miracles were different. And this was according to their age. For example, in the time of Musa, السلام, magic was very important. Magic was a very you know, a special skill, very special, I don't know, kind of um, capability. Mu'jiza of Musa السلام, was something that matched what was very much popular in that time, and that was magic. But the magicians were the first people to acknowledge that this is not magic. This is the beautiful point. That what is the strongest point in that culture, God chooses a miracle which is relevant to that, but that miracle so much overweighs what was popular 
that the best magicians said, this is not uh, magic. And you know, Pharaoh didn't just ask the magicians in Cairo to come. He asked the best magicians of the country to come. And when they saw this, they didn't say, yes, this is a magic, but maybe a greater magic than us. We will try to find a solution. Or we are going to ask you know, other people to help us to defeat Musa. No. As soon as they saw the mojiza of Musa, they realized this is not from the same nature. It's not magic. Because, you know, there is a limit in what you can do with magic. When it goes beyond that limit, you realize this is not magic. In the time of Isa, السلام, medicine was very advanced and very important. Miracles of Isa, السلام, mostly relate to something about healing or giving life. He was able to give, for example, vision to the people who were born blind or people who had problem with their skin. And also he was able to revive the dead. He was able to make a bird from a clay, no, a statue, clay. Yeah. and then give life. So when medical doctors and physicians, you know, look at these things, they say this is not medicine. Because first of all, he's not using any chemicals or any, I don't know, herbs or any, you know, medicine. Yeah, he's not using any medicine. And he's not giving any diet. He's not, you know, asking them to wait. It's instant. It's immediate. And it is beyond medicine. No physician has ever thought of giving life to a statue of clay. So, it was matching what was very important in that culture, but proved to be of a different reality, a different nature. In the time of Prophet Muhammad the main mu'jizah is Qur'an. Of course, Prophet had many other mu'jizah. But the main miracle is Qur'an. <coughs> and please listen carefully about this point. Why Qur'an was the main miracle? What is the advantage of having a book <coughs> as mu'jizah? First of all, Arabs in that age they were very, very proud of their language. Very pleased with their language and very much loving their language, appreciating their language. Unfortunately, many cultures, they don't appreciate their own language. And this is why you see languages sometimes change so quickly. And, you know, many terms get into language which are not well, you know, thought through. Lots of, you know things, new words without any, you know, really beauty are introduced to languages, you know, lots of, I don't know, slangs, all these things, languages can change very fast. And some people don't speak, you know, correctly, 
don't pronounce correctly. They were very particular about their language. And you know, one of their habits was to send their young children to desert because they didn't want they learn the language which is spoken in Mecca because Mecca they had you know lots of foreigners who come and you know the Arabic can be mixed and also lots of I don't know tribes lots of you know people from different you know parts of Arab Peninsula so they used to send their children to desert to learn pure Arabic and not be affected by any accent or anything. So, for them, language was very important. And among the people who had great honor and respect were poets. I'm sure you have heard that inside Kaaba, they used to keep seven pieces of poem. They were hanging on the walls, internal walls of Kaaba, called Mu'allaqat al-Sabah. Mu'allaqat means something which is hanging. So these poems were so important for them, which are not necessarily, you know, with good content. Some of them have no good content. But they were very impressed by their style, you know, by their eloquence. So they used to keep these seven... So in inside Kaaba, they had their idols, and they had these poems. It's like another idol. Very important for them. So, very, very particular about their language. Now, a man who has not been to any school, has not had any teacher, was not trained by any poet or master of Arabic literature, <laughs> he brings from God some words that they don't know what to say about these words. They cannot find any mistake in this. They cannot find any mismatch of the word or a structure. On the other hand, quite opposite, they find there is such attraction in this word, this word that no one can resist. So they tried hard to find a way to keep people away from this world. You know, one of the things they used to say to people was that put, you know, cotton in your ear when you are passing by Muhammad وسلم, reciting the Quran, you must put cotton in your ear. Because Prophet sometimes used to sit facing Kaaba and recite the Quran. And people were going for tawaf. So one man says that I had cotton in my ear and doing tawaf because I was told you should not listen to his recitation. Then I told myself, this is not rational. Why I should not listen? I can listen and choose whether I want to accept or not. But when he removed the cotton from his ear, then he found this is very interesting, very meaningful. Very appealing, so he became Muslim. Unfortunately, today, people maybe they don't have physical cotton in their ear, but they are still suffering from some blockage. Sometimes they cannot hear the truth or see the truth. 
And maybe we ourselves also with respect to some truths are like that. Personal truths, I don't know, social truths or whatever, religious truths. So no one is immune. We have to always make sure that we can get the truth as it is and reflect on it. Not filter things and then reflect on them. Anyway, they were very much wondering what should we do with this word? We ask people to put cotton in their ear, but some do not listen. They try to say, this is magic, sihr, so that people don't listen. Sometimes they say, this man is majnoon, na'uzubillah, he's mad. You know, it, it shows that they were desperate, you know. How can a mad person say things that the most eloquent people cannot, you know, bring something like that? But they, because they were desperate, they just wanted to do some, you know, Propaganda against the prophet. He is magician. He is, I don't know, mad. He is taught by a, a Roman person. Quran says, How can Rasulullah learn from a person who didn't speak Arabic this clear Arabic? It doesn't make sense. They used to say to people, not to listen to the Quran, but the leaders of Quraysh secretly in the night were going and standing or sitting behind the house of the Prophet and listening to the Quran. Maybe I told you or some of you this story that three of them were sitting outside the house of the Prophet, listening to the Quran. When they were, you know, seeing that sun is rising, they said, now we have to go home before people see us. They used darkness as shelter. <coughs> then they met each other. So they told each other that this is very bad. If people realize that we ask them not to listen and then we stay here outside his house, I was listening to him, <laughs> this is very bad. So they promise each other that they don't do this anymore. They won't do this anymore. The next night, again, they met each other because everyone thought other people are not coming. So they promised that we are not going to come. But again, the third night, they saw each other. So this repeated three times till they made firm, you know, <laughs> commitment that they are not going. This is the attraction. When Quran challenged them that if you think this is not word of God, bring something like this. They asked three people the commission, three people, three of the best people, that we give you money and we give you time, each of you produces one-third of a text, we put them together and we present it to Muhammad, so that his challenge is defeated. After the deadline came, they asked them to come and show what they have produced. Each of them said, 
I was stuck with the first verse that I recited and I wanted to copy. And those three verses are mentioned in the books of history. One is, for example, the verse about Allah saying uh, to the sky uh, after the storm of Noah and to the earth. Allah said to the sky to stop sending rain and to the earth to absorb water so that the flood is over. So each of them said, I read this ayah, I was stuck. The other one said, I read this ayah, I was stuck. They were not able to produce anything like that. Then the challenge was reduced. Instead of bringing something like Quran, bring fa'atu ba'ashra suwarim. Just ten chapters. It's going to be short chapters. Or ten pieces. Some people say surah here means a piece, a paragraph, or chapter. They couldn't. Then the challenge was fa'atu bi'suratin. Just one chapter. <coughs> it is now 14 centuries and no one has been able to produce one chapter like the Quran. If they want to defeat Islam, it's the best way for them, you know. They can bring one chapter <laughs> like Quran. We don't say better than Quran, just let like Quran if they can bring. So in the same way that magicians were the first people to acknowledge this is not magic for Musa and physicians realized that what Isa did was not medicine, the masters of language realized that this is not a human word. This cannot be word of a person. And it is interesting, you know, now you can easily do this comparison. We have the hadith from Rasulullah and we have Quran. You see they are totally different. Although Rasulullah is very eloquent and he has very good training, he also grew up in desert, his Arabic is you know very pure, but Hadith of the Prophet are not like Quran. <coughs> Again, Hadith of Amirul Mu'min are not like Hadith of the Prophet. You can see difference of styles, difference of, you know, fragrance. Quran is a special. And I don't know if you have heard this uh, recent, you know, in our time, you know, I mean, in this century. A story of Karbala Kazem. Some of you maybe have heard from me. Uh, it's also available uh, online. A little, uh, you know, documentary reconstructing the story. Few decades ago, <clears throat> in the time of Ayatollah al-Uzma Burujirdi. This is very important. This is, you know, something that Allah sometimes does in a certain age to give a message to people. In the time of Grand Ayatollah Burujirdi, a person, a normal, ordinary person who was, you know, working in a village for the lord of the village, the, the one who was the, you know, feudal, the landlord, with his father. So he, his wife, children, 
father, mother, they were living together. Then an alim went to their village for Ramadan or Muharram and talked about zakat. That is an obligation to give alms. They didn't use to give zakat. So he took this seriously. He told his father, you know, we should give zakat. He said, you know, we are working for the owner of the village, the lord of the village. He went to him and he got angry at him, you know, and started, you know, saying bad things to him and said, who are you to teach me? And he didn't accept. So what he did, he separated his life from his parents so that they don't use the same money, the same thing. And himself went to a very far village and started working as a laborer, sending money to his family. After some years of hard work, he received a message from his father that you can now come back, we are all happy to give zakat. And all the village have agreed to give zakat. So he went back to his village. And he was also helping, you know, poor people. So one day after his work finished, this is a true story and I tell you who have met this person. So one day after he finished his work, he went to the Imam Zada. You know, there is in that village the grave of one of the children of Imams. We call Imam Zadeh. He went to the Imam Zadeh. He prayed. When he was going, he saw two people. They told him, come with us for ziyarah. He said, I have already been there. They said, please come with us. These were people unknown to him. So he went inside. They told him to read the Quranic script on the ceiling. By the way, I forgot that he always wanted to learn Quran, but uh, his father was not able to afford. He had to work from childhood. So therefore, he was illiterate. They asked him to read the script on the ceiling, and he was not able. He said, you know, I have never learned you know, how to read. They said, read. So he started reading. And then he went unconscious. He was in the Imam Zadeh all night People looked for him everywhere because no one was sleeping in the... So they didn't expect he was there. They looked everywhere. They couldn't find him. Next day, he was again conscious. He went back to people, to family, with a difference. He was now memorizer of the whole Quran. The whole Quran was in his heart. Ayatollah Makarim Shirazi, who is one of our Maraja now, in that time was in one of the nearby places, this is near city of Iraq, for Tabligh. He heard about this. He met him, then they invited him to Qom, and he met many Ayatollahs, 
and they tested him, they asked him questions. And what was unbelievable was an illiterate person not only is a hafiz of the Quran, he can recite the Quran backward. You know, if I ask you to re recite Quran backward, for example, even Surah Hamd, read the last ayah and then the ayah before last ayah and the ayah before last, you cannot. He was able to read forward, backward. They were testing him by, you know, because Talabe knew Arabic, by mixing few words from this surah with few words from another surah and saying, where is this ayah? So it was all from Quran, but not from one place. And he was saying, this part is here, that part is there. They showed him Arabic textbooks, which has Quran and other Arabic text. They said, where is Quran? He was putting his finger on the verses of the Quran, quickly, without <laughs> being able to read. And he was saying that, I see light. Whatever is Quran is with light. The other things have no light. So, this uh, person is now buried in Qom. If you go to Qom, you know, you can ask for his grave in a grave which is on the other side of river. And this is a witness in our age that our ulama have seen him, have tested him. And this shows that if you are honest and sincere, even an ordinary person, you know, can be gifted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of such amazing gift. So, Quran is something that has attraction, something which has light. You see, many people, they have embraced Islam because of reading Quran. Even they are not able to read original Quran. They read translation. And you know translation is like a barrier. You can never get the whole idea through translation. Even if you have the best translation, it's a barrier, it's a filter. And people who don't know Arabic don't know Islam, don't know many concepts and terms and places and people who are mentioned in the Quran, they are brought up in another culture. <coughs> How can they read the translation and just be amazed? This shows the attraction of the Quran for sincere people. Maybe someone knows Arabic, knows everything, history, Islam, everything, doesn't find any attraction. But someone who is sincere and is searching for truth, even behind all these barriers, still can see the truth. So those people who were in Mecca and then other places, Medina, Ta'if, and all Hejaz, they realize that this is a word of God. And one advantage of 
mu'jiza of the prophet being a book which is very important for this religion being the last religion is that his mu'jiza has stayed with us can you now see the mu'jiza of Musa alayhi salam no it is reported to us we believe in it but it is reported to us it doesn't have the same power that had for the people who watched it, who observed it. The mu'jiza of Isa alayhi salam, very important, we believe in it. But it's different when you can see it yourself. But the mu'jiza of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is something that we have the same access to it that those people had. Of course, we are not able to listen to the Prophet reciting, but anything else is there. The words are there. People in the past, present, and the future would have the same access. And actually, if we keep sincerity of the people who were early Muslims, if we have the same sincerity, with the advancement of science and with the advancement of human experiences, we should be able to understand the Qur'an even better. There are people in Akhir zaman that they understand the Qur'an better than some of the people in the past. Even there is a hadith which says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Surah Qul Allah and some verses of, I think, Hash and Hadith the beginning of hadith, end of hash, because there will be aqvamun muta'ammiqun, there will be people of deep thinking in Akhir zaman For them, these verses are revealed. So, me and you have the same access to this mu'jaza that Salman and Abu Zar and Mirdad had. If we are sincere like them, Actually, we can maybe understand better because we have so many books of tafsir, we have so many experiences, so many hadiths that over, you know, centuries, you know, we had about almost two and a half centuries of the presence of prophet and imams. So many teachings we have received, all should help us with understanding the Quran. So. We should be in a better position to understand the Quran if the sincerity is there. Okay, this is also about mu'jaza, and at the end, there is a discussion about karama, which means that the extraordinary acts which are done not by prophets. For example, imams, they don't claim to be prophets, but they have extraordinary acts. So we don't call it technically mu'jaza. Or some of the awliyaullah, some of the friends of God, some of the saints, holy people, their du'as, you know, their, even after, you know, they have passed away, sometimes people go to their graves and, you know, they ask Allah because of them and they get their hajat. These extraordinary acts, we don't call them mu'jaza. Mu'jaza is technically preserved for those extraordinary acts that the person who claims to be prophet brings with, come with the claim and with the challenge. Okay, Alhamdulillah, we finished this unit. Inshallah, we move on.
the unit five, which is about al-nubuvvatul khasah, a specific prophethood, and that is about the prophet of Islam. وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين.